Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. On today's episode, we talk with guest Chris Johnson with Johnson Outdoors, take calls from around the country for the W2H Rut Club Radio, and then we take some calls where we're talking to Chris, and the guests that we have on the show ask some incredible questions that really get Chris in the zone. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is September 10th, 2019. Let's take a quick moment of silence for September 11th. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, We bring on guest Chris Johnson with Johnson Outdoors, an active military service member in the Coast Guard. We got some really cool stories from him about that. And, uh, you know, want to get on my soapbox here really quick and just state that one of the topics Chris and I discussed was the crowdedness of public land. And so rather than put in some cheesy plug about the Where to Hunt app, um, I'll just encourage everybody to go check it out, wheretohuntapp.com. It's a way to really have awareness of others around you in the woods try not to you know bump into each other and ruin each other's hunts and um, maybe a little bit of promotion of safety there too but it's free and if you don't want to share your spot and you're really guarded about it um, to help alleviate some of the pressure of folks hunting public land I think the app can really help so you can go hunt where other people are not if you're really cautious about that kind of stuff for $2, you can download the pro version and go incognito and still use it with your own hunting party privately. So that's my way of trying to accommodate those preferences of the different types of users and hunters that are out there. Um, I will thank our title sponsor, Backwoods Grind, backwoodsgrind.com, Backwoods Grind Coffee Company. They give me the energy to do this show Oftentimes, I will get into the quote-unquote podcast studio, which is just a room in my house, at 5.30 p.m. after a long day of work, and uh, I won't get out of this room until sometimes 1 in the morning. So big shout-out to my wife for supporting us and taking care of our family, but big, huge shout-out, too, to Backwoods Grind for giving me the energy to burn the candlestick at both ends. 
If you want to try out their coffee, I highly, highly recommend just simply starting with one of their sampler packs, whether it's a three-pack sampler or a six-pack sampler. Or if you want to just go all in, I will say the Fireside is probably uh, seasonally speaking with fall right around the corner here, a great choice. But I really enjoy the Camp House blend. It's one of my personal favorites. If you want to save some money with that stuff, type in code W2H podcast at checkout and you'll save 10% off. Let's go ahead and um, get into our first segment. W2H Rut Club Radio. All right, this segment of the show is brought to you by Heated Hunts. Uh, HeatedHunts.com, if you want to heat up your hunt and uh, have some more success in the field this season, it's worth a shot. And if you're not willing to spend the money and you want to report on rut activity throughout the country, depending on where you're calling from, go ahead and call into the show every single Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll take calls and we'll report on rut activity around the country. And that will enter you for a chance to win some Heated Hunts products. You can try it out yourself firsthand. Let's go ahead and get into some of the calls from today's segment. So we got Roman from Maguanago. What up, dude? How you been? Hey man, I've been good. I just uh, I just kind of logged in and listened to you here. I don't I don't really have any trail cams or big bucks or anything. In all honesty, I just wanted to share the fact that my summer's been so busy, it's so booked up that I honestly didn't even know that deer season started this weekend for us, um, <laughs> bow season. And I was laying in bed last night talking to my wife, and I said, you know, I got all this vacation I haven't used this year, and uh, got to look at what time uh, when deer season starts and. Holy smokes, man! It's, it's this Saturday. I don't I don't have a license yet. Um, I haven't even picked up my bow. I, I haven't even looked at any of my gear from last year to see if I got up updated anything or get any new stuff. And, and in all honesty, man, it's just been such a crazy busy summer that I completely forgot. And I'm starting to get a little excited now, though. Um, I'm gonna go downstairs tonight, pick up my stuff, and kind of take a look at everything, and hopefully get out and at least shoot some this week. Well, dude, that's. That's a lot of us, though. Um, you know, I got all this stuff happening, right? This show, this, all this stuff. And it's tough to fit in, especially when you got kids and a family and a job. It's crazy. And this summer was awkward. So it really did sneak up on everyone, I think. Or it's taken us by surprise a little bit. So the excitement's kind of coming in all at once, it seems. Yeah, I'm just hoping that when I when I do grab my gear and go through it, you know, I don't run into any, any major surprises or... Uh... You know, that when I when I do get out and hopefully on a lunch break or something this week, I can get out and at least get to, you know, an indoor range somewhere and, and make sure I'm sighted in and, and still shooting you know, at, a, at a decent, still hit what I'm, what I'm uh, aiming at a little bit. But, yeah, I'm getting excited. Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting stoked now. How did you do last year? Did you happen to have any luck last year? Do you have anything exciting to share? No, you know, last year I kind of went up to the same spot. I always go uh, go up to my grandpa's place, and um, you know, we've been kind of picky the last couple of years. Uh, seen a few deer, nothing, no bucks, um, and nothing spectacular. Uh, it was more just about kind of getting out. Um, again, I was kind of a weekend warrior last year as well with with everything going on. But um, I'm hoping this year I've got no meat in the freezer this year, so I'm hoping to get something. Um, I'll probably at least head out Saturday morning maybe Sunday, uh, if the weather's not, not too warm or anything, I at least get out and uh, locally somewhere on some public land and, and just at least sit for a couple hours. 
Yeah, I'm thinking Sunday is going to be my day because my daughter's birthday party is on Saturday. Um, I did shoot my bow quite a bit this last summer, but I decided to install or put on a new HHA single sight pin. And so I thought I'd have more time to get that dialed in. I've, I'm putting it right under the line, right under the wire here. I was out uh, at Buck Rub and Dousman um, last weekend just fine-tuning that. I feel pretty confident and comfortable with it. I'm going to go out one more time to a buddy's place and just let a couple rip and, and just make sure I'm good. I'm good up to 40. I just want to be really confident with that. You know, it's not too different than my other site that I had, but it's definitely um, just because it's new and getting that whole getting it sighted in was kind of a, the thing I had to do there. Other than that, man, yeah, I got most of my gear ready. I happened to pick up one of those scent crusher bags a couple of years ago. And that's really changed things for me. Um, I can't speak to how effective it is in the in the woods. I still try to play the wind, but where I think I've gotten the most value out of it is I treat it like a, a washing machine. So I just throw my clothes in there and it cleans them is what it does. Wow, okay. So I, got a couple, uh, okay. I, got, I got a couple new things I got last year that I never even got to try out. I got this, um, you know, I, I sell some stuff at work that, it's these shirts, and I can't remember. They're called uh, Perimeter, I think, um, is the manufacturer of them. But they're supposed to be infused with the permethrin or something that uh, kind of gets mosquitoes and repels mosquitoes. Yeah, really. I got some of those from Sweet Farm. Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know how, how it works, but that's a big one for early season, yeah, man. It'd be, it'd be great, yeah, for you know September when it's still. 70 degrees out and everything's still green uh, at least get you to be able to sit out there and not get eaten alive by mosquitoes so it's awful dude so they'll kill it for you real real fast but thanks for calling in dude and uh, like allowing me to not simply talk to myself right now you're the only caller so um you have a 100 percent chance of winning some cover-up dirt spray which look i know we all buy that it doesn't seem like that glorious of a product but Dude, it's the one thing that I think we all just kind of do out, out of habit, right? When we get out of the truck and we put our stuff on, just, okay, just get a couple squirts, right? Um, yeah. So you, unless someone else calls in, you're it. And unless someone else calls in, it's still 50-50. So, you know, I appreciate you calling in, dude. Well, hey, man, good luck this season. Um, I look forward to, you know, listening to more of your podcast. I hope you get some guys to call in for you. All right. Thanks, bud. You have a good one. Yep. You too. Bye. All right. Jose? Has decided to call in. What's up, Jose? You're live on the show. How's it going? Good, man. You get to hear me talk to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm not calling. busy. I, I just got I got my son here with me, but I was able to call in for a couple minutes anyway. Thanks, man. So you're ready to go, and you got a 155 inch buck last year. I did uh, the afternoon of October 11th. Um, hurried up from work. And I was in my stand by, I think it was like 4.50, and the buck was on the ground by like 5.05. Damn, dude. So what was he doing? Like, what was he just strolling through and you got lucky, or like, was he? Yeah, well, the farm I had, I got four cameras. I've been setting them the same spot every year for the last five years. I think I've been hunting this farm. And this buck had been hitting every camera. It's almost like he just did one big circle around the farm. And then he would leave for three or four days. And then he'd come back. 
he'd come back and do the same thing again. He'd hit all my cameras, and then be, he'd be gone again. Well, when I showed up that afternoon of the 11th um, to hunt over a clover food plot, um, I climbed up in my stand, and I hung my bow, and I got my backpack, and I was reaching in for my binoculars and face paint. And I looked off to the west, and I seen a buck. I couldn't tell how big he was or anything, so I threw up the binoculars. I realized it was a shooter. I didn't know which buck it was at that at that time. So I hung my backpack back up, knocked an arrow, um, swung around the tree kind of the way I got to stand facing. I kind of had to spin around to my right. By the time I did that, the buck was 50 yards in the food plot. He come in, was feeding around. Looked like he was actually going to go in the timber, but thank God he spun around and he come right to me and I shot him at like 28 yards. Damn, dude, that's not a bad shot at all. 28 yards is freaking perfect. I was just saying you know, I'm dialed in at so, 40, so like that's a comfortable shot. I could handle that. And in, in a field like that, you know, too, that's not terrible. You don't got to worry about like a shooting lane or anything, hey? Yep, it's the first first buck I've ever shot out of my food plot. I've been putting food plots out for, oh, well, on that particular farm, uh, four years now, and I had never shot does off of it, but I've never been able to shoot a buck off of it. And last year was the first year I shot a buck off a of food plot, and actually the first buck um, that I've ever shot that I've had history with, as far as like you know having them on camera um, in the early season and in the actual hunting season that's got to feel good do you have them on the wall or it was you know like what did yeah. you do with them yep did you, i yep i got them i got them mounted yep i got them i got a shoulder cool. mount so that's one you got to be yep. just super proud of i yeah i'm very cool. proud of he's not my he's not my biggest but he's one that i i had some history with like i was saying about having him on camera and stuff and i I'd, I'd never shot a buck that i had on camera so that was a I, for me myself, it was a big accomplishment, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, dude. That would be, that'd be great. I mean, you said like four years you've been planting food plots and that's the one. Um, I'd say that's, that's totally worth it, right? <laughs> four yep. years of doing food yep. plots, that's and a lot of work. I mean, I, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it takes a lot of time, takes money, obviously. And it's, uh, it's about 25 miles south of where I live. So, you know, I can only go over there on the weekends because of work, and so yeah, it felt it felt good to be able to shoot a target buck, um, a mature buck, and being able to put him on the wall, especially early. You know, October 11th, that's really early. Yeah, take some stress off your plate, kind of, because like the rest of us are like, oh my god, you start to beat yourself up. I'm not doing it right. I gotta go, and you start to get in your head. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. it gets tougher as it goes on. I think in some cases. Yeah, after I shot him, I went live on, on Facebook, you know, did like a live video or whatever, and my wife's like, there's no way you shot a deer already, because she knows how much I struggle with shooting deer. I mean, I got some decent bucks on the wall, but I've had to work for them, you know, and I shot my first buck ever, I shot him in northeast Iowa, and he was 178 and 16-pointer. And then I shot him with my bow, and then I went like on a five or six-year spell where I just could not get anything in range. I missed one. I stuck one that I couldn't find. So, I mean, she, when I went live on Facebook and she seen that I had shot a buck, she couldn't believe it. And then she thought I was done, and but she didn't know that I had three doe tags to fill yet. 
<laughs> so I'm just saying, if I got to do that early, my wife's like, yay! I'm like, no, that's not how it works. You know, uh, yeah. although she might win that one if it was a nice buck, it might be like, okay. But yeah, that's funny. That's why I want to get the meat first because it makes that argument easier. No, no, it, that's just the meat, honey. I got to get, I got to get some horns. They yep. Give me both heads. You was, know, I got to. Yep, and then I was able to shoot my first muzzleloader buck um, last year, also. Oh, cool, man! So, I've never done that. I so can't that say was, I have. How far I, was that uh, shot? I've been, it was right around 200 yards. Damn, dude! I didn't realize a muzzleloader was going to go that far. Is that? That yeah, sounds um, far to me. I, I, I kind of knew. Where, I mean, they got muzzleloaders now. The like smokeless muzzleloaders. I know guys that are making 400 yard shots with them. Holy crap! And mine's mine's just a mine's just a cheap muzzleloader it's an old muzzleloader i've had it for like eight years and it's kind of on its downhill slope but i knew where it was hitting at 150 yards and the farm that i was hunting these deer come off this bluff and they'd make their way through a hay field and then they'd come just like at an angle down this hay field and then they take a hard right and then they go into a they were going into a cut cornfield so i put my ground blind in between the hay field and the cornfield um and all the deer, I could see the deer coming off the bluffs, and they were making their way into the hayfield clear northeast of me. It was probably 250 yards from when they first step out of the, the when they first jump out of the fence into the hayfield. Um, and it started getting dark, and I'm like, man, by the time they get down to me within 100 yards, it's going to be dark. So I ranged a doe that was, she was about 208 yards, and that buck was just a little closer to me. So I figured he was about 200, you know, 205 probably, somewhere in there. And I just yeah. held held high, pulled the trigger, and, of course, you know, the smoke goes everywhere. And uh, I didn't know that I didn't know if I hit him or not. All the deer took off running. Once the smoke cleared, I mean, all the deer were out of the field, and I'm like, oh, man, maybe I completely missed. And so I got my flashlight, started walking up the hill um, and to where they're all kind of standing when I shot. And I picked up blood, and he actually ran down towards me and actually died in the cornfield about 50 yards away from me. Nice. Nice, so, dude. Yeah, okay. It was it was a pretty good year for me. Um, I shot a decent buck last year. Or not last year, sorry. The year before that, I shot a decent buck then um, on the same farm that I shot the one last year. So I've had two good years, but like I said, I've – I've gone five or six years without getting a buck, without filling a buck tag, and it sucks. Yep. So hopefully the the ride continues for you, man. Keep us posted. You know, follow along. If you don't already follow on, like, Instagram and all that stuff, we'd love to kind of see your season and story unfold. Um, if you're not part of the W2H Rut Club group on Facebook, that's a great place for some of that stuff as things start to heat up. And um, you're going to be entered to win a heated hunt. Uh, product today the the dirt cover scent so and every week we're going to be doing something different from those guys so continue to tune in to the same day of the week the same time every week um so we appreciate calling in man thank you yep i appreciate it and like i said i try to i try to keep up on the lives as much as i can work kind of keeps me late but i was able to get off early today so yeah thanks man thanks a whole bunch have a good night and good luck this season we'll stay in touch sounds good thanks right bye we're going to go ahead and bring on our guest, Chris Johnson with Johnson Outdoors. What's up, dude? How you doing? Oh, man. 
not too much. Just happy to be here. I'm happy that you're happy to be here. You're a pretty <laughs> happy-go-lucky guy, in my opinion. That might not be the case internally, but as far as from what I see, I don't think you're the kind of guy that can have a bad day, man. I just love your demeanor. Eh, you'd be surprised, buddy, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would be surprised. But um, you do you do great stuff, man. And we connected through this crazy internet of people getting to know each other online. Not a dating site. It was just you know people hunters following hunters. Well, I mean, that might be the name of a dating site. The fact you swiped left on me on Farmers Only, I'm still a little salty about, but it'll be all right. Yeah, you're in, you're in uh, purgatory on Farmers <laughs> Only. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's tell the audience who you are, man. Um, take a couple of minutes here and let's unpack who chris johnson is and who johnson outdoors is um where are you from how long you've been hunting all that kind of good stuff all right well first and foremost hey y'all chris johnson from west palm beach florida uh born and raised down there hunting hogs and the little tiny deer that we got ain't nothing like these midwestern deer up here but uh active duty military so I'm in the Coast Guard, and I got transferred, been in for 10 years now, but I got transferred from back home in Florida. I was in Puerto Rico, then I got up in Florida, and now I'm here in uh, Illinois. Been here since 2016. And uh, as far as the whole Johnson Outdoors deal, uh, basically I had, a, I have had a dream since I was eight years old. Like when uh, me and my dad were sitting watching Real Tree Outdoors and Buckmasters and all that on the couch ever since I can remember, and I had a dream that one day I'd be out doing that stuff. And, you know, at, at the very least, I'd get to meet these guys and stuff like that. So uh, just following that dream growing up ever since eight years old, killed my first deer and just been bit with it ever since. So uh went and started doing, picked up a camera, started taking pictures of these deer because I was losing my mind in the off season. And I wanted to be able to, uh, still chase the animals without getting in trouble with the game warden. So figured a <laughs> camera was the best way to do that and found out that I can go into places with a camera that you can't even go in with a gun. So it, I got some pictures of some big bucks and some nice turkeys and stuff like that back home in Florida, and I just brought it with me. And then it turned into where, well, I'm telling hunting stories, and somebody's like, man, and I keep – wondering man i wish i could show you i wish i could show you so went and got me a little cheap handy cam and started filming my hunts and throwing them up on youtube and uh then was like well hell i don't even talk about what my inner thoughts are so why don't i start a blog so i started doing that and then just in my mind i was doing my own thing i was like well hell i need a way to bring this all together so i hired jordan johnson with combination creative to do a logo for me and uh we came up with uh johnson outdoors and the little logo that i got and that's about it my main uh mission now that i've taken some time and sat and thought about it is i want to get 100 numbers up like i look at guys like waddell and uh jim shockey and you know really idolize those guys because they're the type of person i want to be like i want to be the guy who get somebody who's never even thought of picking up a bow or a rifle out in the woods and hooked and getting bit by that bug so we can get these numbers up. I know a uh, 
big complaint of guys on public land is, oh, there's too many people out here. Well, really the issue is there's not enough land. There's more land or more hunters and more voices. There'd potentially be more land. At least that's the way I look at it. That's a good perspective, dude. That's a good mission to have. Um, You're off to a really strong start. Uh, You know, you kind of, in in my opinion, I know you've been at it since you were eight years old, right? But um, as far as social media scene is concerned, you showed up and boom, like that logo, that little logo you got from Combination Creative, they did a damn good job because that is a really strong logo and it sets you apart right out of the gate, man. Like it gave you a platform to stand on for people to kind of tune in. And that's seemingly what's continuing to happen for you. So I'm really excited for you and I'm happy that you're on this show you know, because hopefully that means you'll always come back um, anytime I want you. You know, we'll see. Yeah, man, anytime. Just give me a holler, day or night. Well, so I'll, let's take a small second to bring in. We do have a caller, so I'm going to bring in our caller. And um, we'll, we'll do this call. for a minute. So who do we got on the yeah. line? Can you hear us? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Good. We can hear you. You told me not to tell them who's calling. I know who it is. Well, so do I. It's all good old big hall. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pull over Chris, man. He's in there with us. So, what's up, Hoss? How you doing? Oh, driving down the road like always, man. You know, I got to meet you both at the working class shoot. And, uh, yep. Haas, dude, you really lived up to your name. You are a big dude. Holy crap. <laughs> like, you were not kidding. I was like, holy shit. And yeah, I take that as a compliment, you know? Uh, holy freaking crap. Kind of hard to miss in public, that's for sure. That is, yeah. Well, how, how are things going for you, man? What, uh, what do you want to contribute to the show today? Well, we got you for a minute or two.
our public land access because if you don't if you don't support the companies that are paying the majority of that federal excise tax, then we're going to start losing public lands. We're going to start losing access, and those issues are only going to get bigger. Dude, you know a lot more about that stuff than I do. Holy crap. I'm coming at that problem from a whole different angle, but that's that's some truth right there. If you got any information, Haas, um, for links and things like that for us to check out online in ways that we can help as a as a collective audience, um, when, you, when you're not driving, pop back into the feed and please share some of that stuff for us. Um, and folks that listen to the podcast, you know, they can they can pop in later too and, and get at it with us. Yeah, I'll send you some links, man, uh, later today. Uh, once I get pulled over, I'll send you some links. Um, if, for anybody listening, if they want to go in after the show, anyway, and uh, you can kind of research the Pittman Robertson Act, um, it was all started by Theodore Roosevelt, and it's all based on conservation. This, the Pittman Robertson Act is the reason why we have our public lands, our game wardens, our wildlife biologists, um, our parks and rec people, the, you know, even just park rangers and, and the people that, that clean up our wildlife areas. Um, that's how they all get paid is through the funds that are accumulated through companies selling products in the United States and paying that federal excise tax. And I don't think people think about it that much. And, you know, they, they look for, you know, being archery specific, they look for broadheads or they look for um, anything. Uh, camo, they're looking... Uh, even some bows now that I've been seeing. Um, and people are just buying them from China or they're getting them on eBay or, or, or something of that nature. And that's not, and I mean, I get it, you know, being a working class guy. Or pinch, 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 pinch petty. I get that. But it's, if you're really concerned about having public land access and being able to enjoy the outdoors, regardless of how you do it, we need to be a little bit more mindful on on why that's available. So you can you can research the Robertson Act and, and check that out and kind of see. It started off as a voluntary uh, tax that the outdoor industry decided to voluntarily pay. It's now required, which none of us have a problem with. Um, but it really comes down to it. But I think people just need to be a little, a little bit more mindful. It's a good piece of awareness. Dude, thanks for the thanks for dropping that that knowledge on us, man. I'm gonna we got another call in the queue, so I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring the next one on, bud. Stay tuned in and continue to comment and engage. I appreciate it a whole bunch. For sure, man. Chris, thanks for bringing that up initially, man. Right yeah, buddy. Love you, Hoss. Hi, right, brother. Yeah, we'll talk to you. There's a lot to love. There's a lot to love. <laughs> Our next, I'm going to bring in the next caller. We're going to roll with it. Um, we got Zach, who's been on the show before. Zach Hoheisel out of Appleton. You're live on the show, bud. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? Good. Have you have you heard of Johnson Outdoors and Chris? You can follow him on Instagram or anything? Um, I don't yet. I'll definitely have to um, check it out after this. Um, I had some... I just had a question for him, and uh, I guess for any other listeners that are uh, tuning in right now on something that's weird that I've noticed this year. Shoot. So have any of you guys noticed that bucks are holding velvet super late this year? Because I pulled my cards last Sunday, and all of my target bucks, my more mature deer, 
as of last weekend, are still holding all of their velvet. Okay. So I ain't no expert. I'm going to start that off flat first and foremost. But with uh, the QDMA, I'm going to shout them out right quick, Quality Deer Management Association. They offer a course called the Deer Steward Course, and it's like 200 bucks for somebody, but they also have uh, scholarships and stuff. So reach out to your local QDMA representative, and they may be able to give you more information on that. But I took the course, and they explained a little bit about that, how it's actually weather that affects that. So with bucks, it's testosterone levels that end up, keying up when to shed velvet, when to grow antler, when it's time to start kicking into the rut. Contrary to popular belief, everybody seems to think that deer movement affects off weather, off moon phase, off barometric pressure, you know, the laundry list goes on. But just through research, I'm not saying that it doesn't affect it, but through the research, they have shown no correlation with that, except for one single period where you had the coldest day and it was like a week where it was negative 30s and then all of a sudden it jumped up to 20 degrees buck movement increased during that time but that's beside the point going back to what you're saying you also noticed though last year because of the type of winter we had it was kind of a harsh winter they held on to their antler a little bit more too and i think that's just a correlation um that's just my personal opinion on it i've noticed the same like we're just now in central illinois we're starting to get uh bucks to shed their velvet a little bit so i can kind of see where you're at with that and even around like we got kentucky and other states that are open right now and they're shooting bucks still in velvet so yeah i've noticed it too man yeah it looks like uh my buddy joel just commented too um you know he just sent me a text this morning of some deer maybe yesterday morning that he had taken some pictures of but he said yeah he just saw a large six still covered in velvet and two days later saw an eight with no velvet so Deer to deer might be a little bit different, but that's up here in Wisconsin, right? He's not far from me. It's probably like five minutes from me, actually. Yeah, that's just yeah. something interesting. I mean, normally we get them this, I would say normally this time of year, you know, like the weekend before over, I would say 90% of my bucks normally are out of velvet at this point. Um, and I notice they're still there, and I'm kind of with you, and I'm a firm believer in, like, um, you know, what the science says, especially considering. Um, you know, like the rut, I believe the science says the rut, you know, it tends to, as far as the actual breeding, um, occurs within the same kind of seven days, you know, the majority of it in the seven days, but I'm wondering what this kind of weird thing I'm noticing, if it's going to mean it's a later rut this year or, or what that's all about. So with the rut, and they touch on this in that course as well, with the rut, it kicks off, off of only photocentric. So what that means is the length of daylight throughout the day so you always hear about guys oh my buck went nocturnal well there's deer that aren't even hunted at all with no pressure whatsoever that go nocturnal it's just deer to deer is their personality trait but what kicks off the rut is when the day start getting shorter so that's why during that daylight savings time usually it's about a week following that or within that week that we start seeing the rut kick off so Ultimately, what you need to do for your certain area is your DNR is going to have what they have called the rut prediction and stuff like that, or at least I know Florida does that. I don't know if uh, Wisconsin does it as well. Or no, we just got the state. rut radio club up here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
shameless plug. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, no, so they have those types of rut maps and stuff like that. And you can kind of see what everybody else in the country is doing. But, like, with Florida, the deer rut year-round. So there is no real uh, change for us because we're so far down there. Now, that being said, up here in the Great White North, I've noticed 5 a.m., it's bright and sunny outside. So it it varies based on the photocentric, like the length of daylight and when that is. I hope that kind of helps a little bit. I know I'm kind of talking in circles a little bit. You're not. That's really, really good information. And even listing the resources off, um, I didn't realize that QDMA offered classes like that. Like, how did you <laughs> That's awesome, man. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. And Zach, yeah, really awesome question, man. Yeah, yeah. Just It was just something real interesting that I noticed, and it wasn't just like one or two. All of my mature deer, um, like I said, as of last week, last Saturday, were still involving, and that is far from the norm um, for me anyway. That's good stuff. Well, um, Zach, I'll drop you off. I got another caller right behind you here, so we'll bring them on. Um, thanks for tuning in, man. Continue to, to tune in for this show, and, and – um, you can always call back in too if you got another question. Yeah, sounds good. See ya. Thanks, bud. Bye, bud. We're just gonna keep rolling through some of these. Uh, we got Joel out of Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. You're live on the show. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Hey, what's going on, you money? You finally made it on the show, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I tried to call last week. Last week when uh, D-Rock was on, but right when I got on, I, my phone died on me because I've been having too much fun listening to it. So, yeah, that's I got I got two things. One one yeah. to caveat off of uh, Zach's comment. Literally just last week up here in Wisconsin, I seen a nice six pointer. You know, well most people say sixes aren't nice, but it was a good bodied six pointer, and it was still in full velvet. And literally about two fields over. I found two more large eights and possibly a 10, and neither one of them had a bit of velvet left on them. So I don't know if it's because them two were fighting or if it's something with the jeans or, I mean, because it's not too far away. I was just wondering about that, what Zach thought about that. You mean Chris? So, well, Zach might have some Chris. thoughts too, but Zach can comment. Chris can talk through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> no, Sorry. you go, buddy. So it varies from deer to deer, uh, according to QDMA and that course. Like I said, I'm going to reference that course because I learned so much information from them that that's basically where I got the more extensive knowledge. Like I said, I ain't no expert by any means, but um, yeah. with that, it's the testosterone levels of the certain deer. So your big six may have having, uh, for lack of better words, had his nuts drop yet to where he's got that testosterone going to where he's going to start shedding the velvet because that's what triggers that that's what triggers that change from velvet to uh thing and he could still be growing like his he may i mean i know it's kind of hard to think that they might still be growing this late but as long as there's velvet on they say deer put on about a quarter inch a day at a minimum while they're still in velvet I'm remembering the stats correctly. So he could still be growing and right. getting even bigger. So, Wow. That's, that's a good point, there. man. Yeah, as far as point. six points, I love big six points. I got a, I actually have a 115-inch five-point on my wall right now. 
Holy shit. Been shot in Georgia, so I, I love them big. Picture that no, I got Do one I... other theory I want to throw by you here, if that's okay, if I still got time on the air. You do. Shoot. There's no one behind you right now, which I know you don't okay. like. You like guys behind you, but. <laughs> I'll leave it to you, buddy. Here, Cam. Don't make me spit out my beer. <laughs> uh, you can follow that. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I got I to run with it. You're good, buddy. So I got an old uh, like philosophy where, you know, I used to have a little bit of private land I used to be able to hunt on. And when opening weekend would always come up, I would always avoid that like the plague because I would always hunt the public lands thinking that if I put pressure on all the public lands, it's going to drive the deer into my private lands, and then I can hunt them later in the season when the mosquitoes ain't so bad and, you know, I don't have to give so much blood and everything. But I no longer have that private land, but I don't want to necessarily jump in first thing into the public land and spook everything out or have to try to compete would you suggest maybe just like leaving the, the hard to reach spots alone and then after a couple of weeks after everyone pressures the, the easy access spots and the parking lots and the open fields to go in and hit those thickets? So my personal thought, it, it all depends. So without, I don't want you to give away your spot or anything, but with that private land, is somebody else hunting it right now? Well, I I gave it back to uh, my buddy hunting it. He's uh he's bringing his daughter into bow hunting, so I'm I'm caping off it because I want his daughter to be able to get out and get a bow and get a deer and you know have the enjoyment of that. So I I completely avoid that place now because I'm letting her, you know, get into the group of hunting. And I don't I don't want to impede on that by any means. Gotcha. Okay. So ultimately, I would say it depends on the pressure because public land is going to be pressured no matter what. And what you've essentially created there is a sanctuary for your bucks that you tend to go in and hunt the sanctuary later on. So that being said, deer are going to go where there's less human movement. So if there's a lot of movement on that public land, it doesn't matter if you were hunting it early or not, you know, you got people traffic to look at. So like one of the things that I've seen in articles and stuff that I've read is that a lot of guys, they'll go a hundred yards from the parking area. And the only reason why they do that is because everybody walks past that wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper. But the bucks actually bed down right outside that parking area because everybody just walks right past them and they're able to continue on without having to, you know, get uh, that pressure put on them. And some people have capitalized like that. Uh, I know, shout out to Walter Lee down in uh, from the Chase and Tales podcast, but he hunts public land pretty religiously and he's gotten to it. And same with Connor Wakefield, uh, whitetail drifter, they hunt uh public land pretty religiously and they've gotten to where they start to pattern people. So whereas everybody goes out, you know, before sunrise and gets out there and then leaves about two hours after sunrise comes up because they're bored and they haven't seen anything, the deer start moving in the middle of the day. And I know from me, every time I've, deer on public land it's usually after hunters are starting to leave the woods and i would sit all day whenever i got out in the tree stand but uh that's just me but um i would ultimately what you're going with uh if you have food sources that's where you're going to want to capitalize early season so don't hit them in the mornings hit them in the evenings 
because in the morning them deer are going to be out in those fields feeding or on those field sources. So you're going to want to try to stay out of that. Um, an old saying is hit the timber in the morning and hit the fields in the evening. But uh, I, I don't know if that does anything for you, but that would be my recommendation. Like, no, First and foremost, you need to worry about your scent and where the wind is going to go. Because yeah. uh, that's going to cause more pressure to any big buck than anything else. So if you got these spots and one of your spots is only good on a north wind, then don't go in there on anything less than a north wind. At least that's where I see it. No, I appreciate that. That's, that's intriguing. I never thought of, you know, patterning the hunters as opposed to the, the deer. Yeah, I mean, yep. it, I mean they're, the whole aspect of how I look at that now for public lands. Yeah, because, I mean, they're creatures of habit. So what they're going to do is they're going to see, all right, when's the least time I'm pressured? If everybody's trying to get into the woods at about 530 in the morning before the sun comes up, that's probably when they're going to hold tight to their beds. And then they'll know those two, three hours. And something I learned in that course, and this will just kind of mess with your mind a little bit, it's deer stomachs the way they're structured. They have to eat every four hours. So even though that doesn't, I mean, you figure you sit in all day sit, you're sitting out there 16 hours. That means that buck has gotten up, moved, and eaten at least four times in that time you've been sitting there. So you have to find out what food source he's hitting, whether or not he's got food in the area he's bedded. Like, the, they're creatures of habit, and they're lazy. They're going to go the path of least resistance. So if they only need to go five yards to eat a persimmon or a crab apple or whatever, they're going to do that rather than travel to hit that big soybean or cornfield that's out there and everybody's set up on. That is something I did not know. So you are, as Lance Brown commented, full of knowledge. And this is very good information. Joel, dude, these are really good questions too, man. Thank you for you know, provoking some thought here. Oh. Better the question. You want to be well, the host? I appreciate you it. Come sit over no, here with me. Oh, God, no, I couldn't questions. do what you do, man. <laughs> I still got I mean, one more thing to put is, down. I got all I'm doing is drink scotch. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll help you out with a beer. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for calling, well, in, buddy. Right, and by the way, for those that don't know, Joel is the one that sniffed my deer out of the woods two years ago. Oh. Ah, you left it there just so I'd smell it. <laughs> uh-huh. You freak. All right, buddy. You have a good night. <laughs> uh, you too. Thanks, bud. Later, bud. So we're good on calls for a minute. This is what makes this show interesting. You know, I've stopped doing call notes and show notes because you have a plan, and then someone calls in, and we get totally on a different track. In this case, um, it's uncovered all sorts of great nuggets that you got tucked away there. Uh, I wish yeah. I knew which other questions to ask based on what you got in that noggin. Um, you know, you mentioned you're not the sharpest crayon in the box or whatever, <laughs> and you're no expert. And you mentioned you're in the military. I just, I wanted to, let's just switch gears for a second here, because you told me one hell of a story when we were in Illinois at the shoot and being in the Coast Guard, I don't remember if someone had asked, like, what's the craziest thing you had seen, but you had one hell of a story, dude. And so I just want to take a minute to let's switch gears, get out of deer mode, and get into drug busting mode. Okay. So with that, that was when I was in Puerto Rico. I was in San Juan, Puerto Rico on a 110-foot patrol boat. Basically, 
our only job down there is to look for illegal immigrants trying to come into the country and drug runners. That's all we do. And we're out there. Uh, I remember it was like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. We got the call. They're like, hey, you need to go. And we were uh, the only fully enlisted crew. And what I mean by that is most of the time you have a mixture of officers and enlisted on these cutters. We were the only one that was all enlisted. The CO or, uh, excuse me, commanding officer was a warrant officer. So he was prior enlisted that got a commission is how that works. Well, we had some intel that there was a drug boat out in a certain location and go get them, basically. I mean, that was the extent of our intel. We didn't know what type of boat. We didn't know who we were chasing. So we get out there, and when you get out in the middle of the ocean at the middle of the night, it's pitch black dark. There are no lights. The only light you have are the stars. And this night, and a lot of times the moonlight, like you'd be surprised how bright a full moon is, but you honestly cannot see a single thing on this night. I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, basically close your eyes, and that's how it was operating out there. And we got red lights to kind of help with our night vision. But uh, we had counter-op helicopters and planes, and, you know, you never hear them. You never see them. You have no idea they're up there, but they're just come over the radio, and they tell you, like, they're watching through infrared, and they're like, hey, you're right next to them. And Hmm. we're like, all right, well, where are we? They're like, no, you're right on top of them. So our CO, after trying to find where these guys were, just finally said, fuck it. And we flipped on all our spotlights, all our searchlights, and our blue lights. And there they are, right next to us, within 50 yards of the cutter. And we were about as surprised to see them as they were to see us. And they just started dumping bales overboard as much as possible. And uh, as they were dumping these bales overboard, they went to running. Now, this is Normally, when you deal with these drug and migrant boats, it's not like you would see on TV where it's a cigarette boat that's all souped up and suited out. Like, no, it's a little 19-foot boat with two guys running it loaded down with 50 people, and that's what you're chasing. But this... Oops, did I lose you, bud? Technical difficulty. It shows you're still there. Hey, Chris, I think uh, your phone dropped off or got muted or something. Right at the, like, cliffhanger. Terrible timing. Stand by, everybody. You there, Chris? Oh, man, right at the best possible spot. It shows you are still with me, bud. Um, It might be your line. Let me send you a quick text. Hang in there with us, folks. It ain't a podcast unless you have a technical glitch. That's what I say, and I think that's pretty real. If you run a podcast and you've not had a technical glitch, you've not run a podcast. I'm going to give 
Chris a quick text here and make sure he's good to go. Stand by. You muted or something. You're still watching. Hang in there. Trying to get him back right now. Yeah, you're back. Maybe you got the mute button. It was like right at the best part, too. It just like boop, right. cut off. We got you, though. Yeah. All right, cool. Trying to get him back right now. So I got the... Yeah, you're back. Hold on one second. Maybe you got the mute Sorry about that. I had you muted on the video feed, so I wasn't able to do that. So what did y'all miss? I guess uh, that's <laughs> all like jacked right, up on me. Right when you're like, so it's not like they're on a cigarette boat, and then that was it. Okay, so usually with those boats and stuff, hell, you lost me a while back. My bad. Um, so it's not usually like they're on cigarette boats or anything like that. They're on 19-foot boats ran by two guys loaded down with 50 people, and that's what's running from you. They can't go very fast. So that's what uh, that's where uh, they end up going, or that's what you end up chasing. This time, that wasn't the case. It was a cigarette boat loaded down like you would see on Miami Vice or something like that, and these yeah. guys started just – booking it away from us as fast as they could go and obviously their engine is souped up a whole lot more than a 110 foot boat can go and they start dumping bales as fast as they can and i firmly believe if uh they weren't able to dump the bales so fast that we would have been able to catch them but they dumped all the contraband and were able to outrun us however the contraband they dumped was 50 kilos of pure uncut or 50 bales of pure uncut Colombian cocaine. Each bale had 25 kilos in it. And the total weight ended up coming out to 1.8 tons. The street value of that was over $99 million, which we did the math. If we took one bale, sold it at street value and mixed it up amongst the crew, they ended up, uh, did we you do that math before or after? After the bus. After okay, the bus. sure. <laughs> We'd have each walked away with $128,000. And it's just one of those deals like, you know, it's cool to break it down even more. I mean, it's nice. To, oh, you got 1.8 tons, street value $99 million. Cool. But if we'd have broken up, we'd have had this much. Damn it. Why do we have to be yeah. at the <laughs> So... But, I mean, then there's case after case where we've gotten migrants. I mean, um, we got tons of migrants in Florida. We got tons of migrants in Puerto Rico. And there's times where I've been in eight-foot seas and flown about five feet through the air to jump on a migrant boat to put it in tow. So, you know, stupid things you do while you're enlisted. But, you know, that's, that's basically it. And then there's the search and rescue missions, which – Personally, when they're a legit search and rescue mission, that's what I prefer. I prefer uh, actually going out there and making a difference and helping people that are in trouble and otherwise may lose their lives if it weren't for you. So, I mean, that's what's kind of cool to me. And then as far as like, so I'll tell a quick story right quick. As far as we're talking about up here, 
everybody likes to go sailing out in Lake Michigan. That's one of the biggest things. And with yeah, these sailors, yeah. they have what are they're called Hobie cats. So it's a little catamaran and they flip over all the time, but a lot of the experienced guys can self ride them, flip them right back over and do it all over again. Well, this one time, uh, the boat flipped and the guy wasn't able to get it flipped back over and the mast broke and just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it turns out he had his girlfriend out there with him at the time. And it was like one of her first times sailing and we roll up on him. It's, it's snotty. It's about five foot seas. We get out there and they're sitting on top of the hole. So we end up throwing some heaving lines and pulling them in and getting them to the boat we get the girlfriend first and put her on the boat. And at first, you know, they both were wearing wetsuits and life jackets. So they wore everything that they needed to do, but we get her in the boat and out of the elements and she just starts breaking down bawling. I guess the gravity of the situation hit her and, uh, we get the guy and we pull him on and he's kind of chill and even keel. And he's like, Oh, well, what, so are you guys going to tow my boat back in? We're like, no, dude, we got you. That's all we care about. And he's like, all right. And we're like, so what are we going to do about this boat? Da, 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 da. And we start doing the whole headquarters and jumping through hoops thing that comes with uh, being in the job I'm in. And uh, he's like, oh, what about my boat? What about my boat? And then finally he goes, fuck it, just leave it, leave it. So we left it floating out there. Some say to this day it's still floating out there. No, I have no idea what <laughs> ended up coming of the boat That's but wild, man. we got them inside and they were safe sound as far as i know hopefully a little bit smarter and learned from it but um there's an old coastie he had a saying and i always think it's the greatest saying he goes i joined the coast guard because i thought it was cool that we were the only uh military service that operated while not at war but then i realized we're constantly at war with stupidity <laughs> uh, that's and, great dude well there isn't a single phrase that could have been more true with that. That's funny. But, you, you you mentioned a couple of things in the bigger story where we lost you for a second about like there is a, a plane that was flying above in stealth mode or, or you know, just high enough that it didn't matter and they're using infrared to tell you like you're right on top of you know the boat you're chasing and then you know you guys flip the lights on the right there. Sure it'd be nice yeah. if you could do that in the deer woods, have a plane tell you, dude, there's a deer right there and you flip the lights on the floor and said, Boom. You could be good to go. <laughs> right. Those damn animals, no, you know, man, I, are like, they're like ghosts. You just, they could be right there and you really don't know it. Well, it's funny you say that. There's a, and everybody always talks about these monster mature deer that everybody, you're chasing. And that's what you want is that big mature buck and blah, blah, blah. Now, this buck, and it just goes to show, like, these deer are completely different animals so this buck we had on camera at my uh property that i hunt so i hunt real quick i hunt both public and private but on the private piece i hunt we had this deer he can't be more than two years old at least at the time that we were getting the pictures and he's just a freak i mean he's got brow times that are probably 11 inches each and then just a gaggle of i mean he's a non-typical deer like he's got big palmated racks with tines going every which way, like three drop tines coming off of it. I mean, and he's a two-year-old. And I remember seeing him as a one-year-old last year where he had 
the big old long brows. I mean, his brow tines were probably six, seven inches each. And then he had what looked like a double main beam coming out on the one side. I mean, he's just an absolute freak, but he's a two-year-old deer. And you always see these articles, oh, two and three-year-olds are stupid. This dude, up until every single time we had trail camera pictures of him, it was directly at sunrise and directly at sunset. I mean, first light, last light, that's the only time you would ever see him. And he would come to this mock scrape that I had, and that's when you would see him. is first light, last light, never daylight. I think we, every other buck, we'd have at least one daylight picture, not him. First light, last light, and then sometimes in the middle of the night, he'd show up. Well, one of the mornings I get out there, and, you know, I have my little light, and I shine where the stand is. And unfortunately, where my stand is, is right where that uh, – mock scrape is yeah so i get up in the stand and stuff and i don't see any eyes looking at me or nothing like that so i'm like okay cool you know i can get up in the stand and i'm good get up in the stand and i settle in i'm screwing in my little camera arm you know it takes me about 15 minutes to get all settled in and quiet so i get out there plenty early time to do that once i'm settled in i look and i see a little buck i know it's a buck but i don't know i it didn't look like anything big and he walks directly underneath my stand and up the little ravine, crosses the creek, and goes up the hill. Well, I was kind of watched where he went and wasn't too worried about it. And I cleared my throat just because, you know, early mornings you get all that gunk caught up in your throat. And I hear a deer spook out. And I was like, oh, damn, well, hopefully that's not a big deer. I checked the trail camera that evening. There was a little spike and that buck right there probably five minutes before I got to the stand. They were probably sitting at the base of that tree while I was changing out on the truck. Damn, so it just dude. goes to show, like, I mean, they're sometimes right there. they're there yeah. and you have no clue. <coughs> yeah, it's always so, awkward yeah, when you hear someone, you know, you, you clear your throat and someone says, bless you. And you're like, uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, I actually had an experience like that on public land back home in Florida, so. Where I'm at in Florida, we don't have a ton of public land that's just open to everybody to go hunt. A lot of it is what are called quota hunts where you have to put in and it's a lottery draw on whether or not you can kill deer in this area. And Then when you put in for it, you can only kill deer during this certain weekend along with the other quota hunt permits and blah, 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 blah. Well, we get to this one spot and it's highly pressured. Those are my homies back home. It's Corbett climb up the tree or I didn't even have a tree stand at the time. I didn't have a climber. So I had like my dad's old, uh, it was a seat that would just strap to a tree and that's what you had. So that way you could be up against a tree to break up your silhouette, but you're sitting in a little chair or on a little cushion and yeah. that's all it ever was. Well, I had that strapped up in the spot that I had scouted. I was like, man, this is good. We saw a bunch of, uh, bunch of trucks lined up on the entrance in there but just from scouting and going all around there i knew where those guys stands were because this area you could leave stands up and stuff like that i get in there set up my little seat and sit down and get all settled in it's right before daylight sun's starting to come up and all of a sudden i hear bark scraping off a tree and i look over 50 yards from me dude's climbing a tree i was like all right well time for me to leave (laughs) yeah had a bobcat walk up to me, but 
No way. Like, see, that's but yeah, that's still cool. Like to me, that's that's probably cooler than seeing a deer. I'll take seeing a bobcat just because I've never seen one, and I would love to add that to my you know checklist of things I've seen in the wild. Actually, I finally oh, saw my first coyote just scooting through the woods last season. You know, um, I saw a glimpse of wow. a bear once, but I've seen guys that see like um, is it an otter or whatever the hell it is, like a yep, or like. Yeah, dude, like that would be, those are just really cool things you see on Discovery Channel all the time that you see in the wild and you're like, whoa, 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 what is this? Holy crap, you know? Yeah, so this bobcat scared the piss out of me. <laughs> I, I mean, it it was still dark and I just hear something coming down the trail and it was the exact same trail that I had just taken in. And I see it and it's a little crater. I'm like, oh, you know, it's something small. And I'm brand new to bow hunting at the time, so I knew that I had to get in close to things, but... This bobcat's probably five yards from in front of me and hasn't stopped. And I'm like, so I just draw back out of panic <laughs> because I'm a, I'm thinking this thing's about to jump on me. And it stops and looks at me and then takes off running the other way. And my yeah, brain done. still didn't even register fully what it was until it ran away because then I heard that like a bobcat would run. So it was, it was cool, but it scared the hell out of me at the time, like heart rate through the roof to where you can hear it thumping in your ears. But. I call myself the OKS Hunter, and I've spun up this whole OKS Hunter thing on uh, Instagram. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, check it out. But I have a buddy that he kind of inspired it, and he's the kind of guy that he's a city boy. He don't hunt. He likes to come with us for gun for the camaraderie to put on his blaze once mm-hmm. a year, and it's a blaze that I had from when I was in high school. You know, he. That being said, he's also a Marine, and he's one hell of a marksman and can pick anything off like a sniper. He's a machine gunner in the Marine Corps, and he's served over a season. Um, so he's a badass, but he doesn't hunt. That's awesome. so he likes to hunt with his buddies. And so, like, he, he literally one year came with us for the first time ever and took a crap basically where he was hunting. He's got a big dip in his mouth. I mean, if he had a cigarette, <laughs> he probably would have been smoking that. He didn't give, he didn't give a shit, you know? And right. he saw... a like a really big 10 or 12 point buck to his recollection. He's like, Oh shit, there's deer back here. So he gets his rifle ready. And then by the time he had that thing lined up, you know, it was out of sight. And then next thing you know, another buck came by and that happened to be a seven pointer. So he, he shot that one. It was perfect shot. And, um, you know, shit, I'm trying to think of the hell I was going with this, but he, he, oh, that's what it was. He didn't do anything was, serious. And- yeah, he didn't give a crap, but yeah. he got a deer. You know, my one buddy who's like really serious and trying for years. He's like, "What? You come there first deer? You take a shit right there and you get a deer? What the? F-? You know?" He's all pissed. And right. uh, he was walking back, and he goes, "Dude, I was walking out in the morning. It was zero dark hundred, and these thunder chickens came freaking flapping out of these trees and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me what what was that? I was like, well, those are turkeys coming out of roost.' He's like, "Holy hell!" You know, here I am thinking I'm in the state forest and all I got to do is shoot Bambi. And next thing you know, I got these giant thunder chickens coming out of the frickin' you know, woodwork. So Big Bad Marine was scared by a couple of turkeys. And, you know, that's my buddy who I call the okayest hunter. And uh, he's a good guy. But that's one of those things where you say the bobcat scared you. Well, my buddy got scared by some turkeys, which, by the way, will scare the shit out of anybody if you don't know it's coming in dark and they're coming oh, out yeah. of roost. Wow. Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that. So I'm a uh, backtrack a little bit. So my dad taught me almost everything I know about hunting and what he didn't teach 
whatever I didn't learn on my own, he taught me everything like in person was. And then what he didn't teach me, uh, his family friend who I pretty much consider like a grandfather, uh, Claire taught me. Claire is salt of the earth. You know, he was in the army during the Vietnam era, but they never sent him overseas. He just drove trucks in uh, Michigan. And my dad is a former Marine. So we all got that little bit of a rivalry going. Yeah. And, uh, but Claire, he came back from Viet or from serving in Vietnam and worked on a ranch his entire life. And that man's a farrier. And he taught my dad how to be a farrier, which is uh, someone who puts horseshoes on horses, for those who don't know what a farrier is. I did not know that. I'm glad you told me. I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know what that is. <laughs> yeah, they uh, trim up the hooves and put horseshoes on horses. So that's what my dad and Claire do for a living. But uh, Claire, I'll put that old man up against anybody. He'll outwork anybody i've ever met i've never seen somebody who works so hard but the first thing claire does when he gets to a tree stand he takes a piss at the base of it lights a cigarette climbs up in the stand and hunts and you look at him like dude what the hell are you doing oh it don't bother them none and he's got some of the biggest deer on the wall that i've ever seen and from florida uh when he goes out west the couple times that he's gone out west he's got muleys up there and it's just kind of funny that you were saying that the marine did that and he talked about big, bad Marine being scared by a turkey. I watched my dad about shoot a turkey with a seven mag just out of fear <laughs> when I was probably nine or ten. We're walking in, and we hunt, had a lease in Georgia hunting down in the river bottoms. And as soon as we get down in there, we're just kind of walking down a gravel road, and turkey was bedded on the ground. I don't know why it was a hen or so, but it kicked up and, you know, that little that they do when they get up but dad like flips around about throws his rifle up and throws it up on his shoulder i'm like boy you gonna shoot the damn turkey he's like no and he we walk a little further he goes that thing scared the fuck out of me (laughs) (laughs) dude they're no joke and when those wings are flapping like and they come crashing out of trees like you know big clumsy dumb birds that they are yeah it's, it's no joke so Let's shift gears. We we got some time. Um, you know, I asked you at the beginning of the show to start to, to plant the seed of your most memorable hunt. You know, as you've had some time to think on that subconsciously, what comes to mind for you? This is I say every time this is my favorite part of the show because everybody's most memorable hunt is so drastically different, and I just I just love hearing it. And and apparently people don't ask this question on podcasts a lot, so. If you got a memorable hunt, man, I'm really excited to hear it. Oh, man, I got two that come to mind instantly. The first one, and it's not really a in-depth story like the second one, but it's to me it's more special. Um, hunting Florida with my dad. Uh, got into bow hunting, just, and this hunt spanned over three seasons. And I say three seasons because it took me two years to get this deer, but the first year we're out there with bow season, I have my dad's old bear white tail too. I mean, it was his first bow when he started hunting back in 80, whatever, 1980, whatever. And that was my first bow and I'd shot a hog with it before, but that's beside the point. I had this monster eight point walk out in front of me broadside. And I mean, just 
a giant deer, the biggest deer I've ever seen at the time. And I saw a 16 point on this same exact ranch with two drop tines. And this deer just being an eight point dwarfed him. It, looking back, he was probably a 140 class eight, but you know, the deer down there, a mature bucks, 160 pounds. So you put 140 rack on a 160 pound deer. He looks like he's 190, 200. So he comes by broadside and I, grab my grunt call and I grunting at him I'm bleating at him doing everything I can because in my mind man he's out there 50 yards and then steered would like look in my direction and then go back to browsing or whatever like he had not a care in the world completely forgot I had a range finder in my pack so I never ranged him or had any idea on what uh distance he was at comes to he ends up walking away. I'm shaking so bad looking at him that I drop my binoculars out of my hand and they fall to the tree stand. Doesn't phase him. He just slowly walks himself away, goes on his merry way. I get down, grab my binoculars. I think about putting a spot and stalk on him. And I'm like, well, I'm going to mess up this spot, so I better get back up in the tree. When I finally remember I have a tree stand or a range finder, I hit the little scrub bush that he walked in front of, and it was 38 yards. And... You know, at the time, you know, my maximum effective range was 40. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's okay. You know, I don't know if I could have hit him anyway. But, man, I could have probably shot him. And you know how that game goes. Well, my dad and Claire come and pick me up off this ranch. And I say ranch, it's a cattle ranch. It's not high fence. It's a Sure, good, good clarification there, yeah. I, I have to clarify that. So I jump out of this tree stand, and I probably clear the entire ladder in two steps. And they're like, yeah, he saw a big one. And I had seen little bucks all over me that morning, but that buck was just a giant. So we go and start trying to chase him all the rest of that season. And I saw him during gun season uh, way up, and I was basically in the swamp in his house. And he came out at the spot that I least expected it. He was kind of facing me. And he just jumped back and got up to where I could never get a shot and stayed probably for about an hour blowing at me just over and over and over again, never came out. I'm grunting, snort wheezing, everything I can to get him to come out so I can get a shot off on him, but he never once came back out. Fast forward to the following year, we go out there, and I'm hunting hard. I saw a nice wide 10-point with short times that I was after, a bunch of other good-looking deer, but never got a shot at a shooter. So we go, and we're talking around. And we're like, hey, let's just go in here and see if we can't help the rancher out and kill some hogs. So we throw on a bunch of, uh, we throw a bunch of, uh, arrows and like I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans, you know, nothing fancy, just hog hunting gear. And we're riding in, in the truck and with, a uh, Florida, you're allowed to shoot from a vehicle, but it has to be stopped and then park and the keys out. Holy shit. Okay. Damn. And the reason why is because a lot of guys hunt from swamp buggies down there. Because mm-hmm. there's only certain places that you can get with these buggies. So I'm sitting up in the bed of the truck, riding around in the thing. And we're looking for hogs. So with hogs down there, there's no holds barred. You honestly don't even, and for anybody listening that's wanting to go down to Florida to shoot hogs, you don't need a hunting license to kill hogs. You can a go down there and start. You drop it like a tot. That's what I've heard. Exactly. Exactly. So we're out there and just kind of cruising along and I jump up in the bed of the truck because this is a spot where it's a big oak hammock and there's a lot of hogs that usually are up in that oak hammock eating the acorns. 
And I look over, and in the ditch across the canal is a buck, and it's a shooter. So I start banging on the thing. I'm like, shooter, shooter, shooter. So my dad stops, and I draw back in the bed of the truck. Dad starts cussing at me. It's like, that deer's 60 yards out there. Let down. You can't do nothing. So I jump down out of the truck and get up on there and start putting a spotting stock on him and start sneaking up on him, getting as close as I can. This buck looks up at me, looks over, gets goes back down browsing. I'm like, okay, cool, he didn't see me, and I get closer and closer and closer. And he lifts his head up, and he turns and starts to walk, and I draw back, and he steps up on the berm. And I told my dad, I go, yards. And he goes, 30. And I put my 30-yard pin on him and smoked him. Perfect double lung shot. Watched nice. him mule kick and take off running. And what makes that hunt so special to me is not only was it my first buck ever with a bow, but my dad was right there to see it all go down. And that was one of the last hunts I had with my dad. Not that he's passed away or anything, just he kind of is over it. Whereas like buying the out of state licenses and stuff like that. And he likes to go, say, man, don't make buy. me tear up on the show. Holy shit. Thanks yeah, for- man. Like it, <laughs> it, it was, just, it's just one of those moments. And then there's pictures I got where, it wasn't even planned and I didn't notice until months after, but it's me and dad dragging this buck out and come to find out we're wearing the exact same color shirt, the exact same color pants. Like it, it just was awesome altogether. And the buck was a four and a half year old eight point. I mean, I don't think he even scored 110 inches, but, uh, four and a half I'll year old, a four buck. and a half year old deer any day, man. That's awesome. Yep. 165 pounds. And what kind of sucked was, uh, we waited 20 minutes because, you know, the whole rule of thumb, you shoot double long, you wait a half hour. You shoot a hard shot, you wait 15 minutes to 20 minutes. You shoot a liver, you're waiting four hours, if not overnight, you know. Little guidelines that I got taught growing up. So we're waiting, and we go out there. And but the buzzards are so bad down there that they were on him within that wow. 20 minutes. So I get up on the berm. Buzzards. We got to worry about coyotes up here, but buzzards sounds like they're a little bit quicker to the punch. Oh, yeah. So like, I get up on the berm, and I see a gaggle of buzzards out in the pasture. I'm like, okay, where are they on? And I see an antler. I'm like, they're on my deer. And I start running, sprinting across this pasture at these buzzards. I mean, I jumped through a barbed wire fence to get after these damn birds. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting there yelling, hey, hey, to get them off my damn deer. And they don't even budge. Dad gets up on the berm and whistles, and they all scatter. And... uh Ended up grabbing my buck, and they bit uh, from his nostril to his lips, so they messed up my cape a little bit. Took his eye out and took his nuts out, but other than that, um, quick work. Wow, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Holy crap! No, they weren't. They weren't messing around. So that was one of my memorable deer, and then rifle kill. And this was that five point I was talking about a little bit, and it's a it's a quicker story than the other one, but. It's still like one of the coolest stories that I've ever had. So we had this buck on camera and he ended up grossing 115 inches with just forks. He has a brow time that's maybe an inch and a half, nothing too crazy. And uh, we're, we had this buck on uh, trail cam and everybody on the lead said, he shoot on sight. You see him blasting like, and I mean, it's September, and you could see folds and wrinkles in this buck's neck. So you knew he was an old, mature deer. And uh, sure. we ended up... Oh, that, we call that the dad bod buck. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he's just a stud. I, I mean, didn't have squat for a rack, but, I mean, just a giant deer. And we get up. I got out there, and at the time, I had uh, the girl I was dating at the time. She was out there with me because whole plan was to get her a deer. And um, I'm shooting a 7 mag rifle, and it wasn't a big a deal. So we get up there, and we had an option. Uh, we didn't, it's eight hours from my house where the lease is. And by the time we got up there, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. And I, the option was sleep four hours and don't, don't unpack, sleep four hours and then just get up and hunt in the morning or get camp set up and get all situated and sleep two hours. So we elected for the sleep four hours, slept in the truck, got everything. Next morning, I wake up, get dressed, unload the four-wheeler, get everything ready that I could, just basically bare minimum that I needed to go hunt. And waiting on her, I'm cussing the entire time because we're late as could be. Sunrise was at 6.30. It wasn't until 6.35 that I'm leaving camp, so I'm cussing the entire way like we're so late. Sunrise has already happened, so I'm flying on my four-wheeler as fast as I can to get to the spot where I can get to my stand. I get to the corner of the field, and it's cut soybeans. So those of you all that know up here in the Midwest, cut soybeans looks like a giant dirt patch. There's no food there for them. There's no reason for them to be there. It's just dirt and open field. So I get there, and I'm like, damn, they harvested soybeans, so I don't know how this is. But just a feeling in the back of my head said, there's a buck on this field. So I start scanning the field, and sure enough, off in the distance is that buck standing there scanning the field doing the exact same thing I'm doing. And I'm look, I'm like, it's the, it's the four corn. It's the four corn. And I kept saying that over and over again. So I go and grab shooting sticks that I had in my pack out and get my rifle set up, drop down to a knee, and realize I didn't adjust my sticks all the way. So they're falling. I had to readjust my sticks. I'm freaking out, shaking. And at the time, you know, like I said, we're trying to get her a deer. So I'm like, you want to shoot it? She goes, a four corn? No. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm shooting. And Okay, cool. I <laughs> I'm out here for you, but okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I had a buck tag, so I no sweat on me. I wanted to kill this deer anyway. So I take my range finder. My range finder is not even picking him up all the way across the field. So I know he's at least 500 yards out there. And uh, tell her, I'm like, give me my damn grunt call. So I adjust my sticks. I'm sitting on my sticks, on the rifle. I grab my gut call, and I go, back, back, back. This deer comes sprinting at me as fast as he's ever, as fast as I've ever seen a deer run towards me. He's kicking up a cloud of dust in the back. I mean, just coming on a beeline straight for me. I'm like, oh, man, here he comes, here he comes. He hits the... The field was kind of a kidney bean shape. And he hits the turn in the field. And he slows down to kind of a trot. And I knew just from ranging that field before that it was a, uh, 177 yards across the field from where he was at. And he slows down. He starts bowing up, hair bristle on his back, ears laid back. And he starts just, you know, I mean, just ready to fight. And I send it. And I watch this shoulder lurch and he runs off into the brush and I'm shaking like a leaf I'm so stoked that I shot this buck and that he came at me like he did and uh 
I go and I find my blood. I put my shooting sticks down for the blood. We climb up in the tree stand to continue out the hunt. And as I'm sitting in the tree stand, I hear over in the direction where that buck ran in, I'm hearing like leaves moving and just a thumping sound, just like, and I look over and I see tines and I see tines start to come up and fall down and come up and fall down. So I was literally watching my buck do his final kicks right there from the tree stand. And finally we saw no other deer come out and I was getting too antsy from watching him kick. I was like, all right, let's find, let's go get him. So we went and got him, got back to the camp. And it was funny to me because here I am setting up camp. My cooler's not, doesn't have ice in it. I'm not ready for a deer at all. Had no inclination that I was going to even get a shot at a deer at all. And here I am with a 220 pound, six and a half year old five point on the back of my four wheeler that dwarfs the four wheeler. So it was just that buck sitting center in my room just because he's the oldest deer I've ever taken. And uh, thinking back, I think I missed him a couple times the year prior in archery season. So, I mean, it was just awesome how I was able to capitalize on that buck. Those are both really great stories, dude. Um, it's just, for me, like, it's it's always just exciting to even, like, see a buck. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where I'm at, you know? And And beyond that, anything else is all bonus. Even to see a deer that's bonus and just to be out there is the gift and to be on public land is the privilege so you have the privilege the gift and then the bonus and then to get one it's like well now i'm eating right and if you get something mature you've really earned it and that is um to me something that proves that you were you're worthy of the challenge you know getting an older deer that maybe has the rack to go along with it is something really special and if you do it on public land, um, you've freaking earned it. And it sounds like you've you've earned it, man. And and you're but you're also educating yourself along the way. You're you're going to QDMA courses. You're doing so so much within the industry with Johnson Outdoors. Like you're you're kind of covering all of the bases, but you're certainly not taking anything for granted. You know you you really appreciate the chase and you respect the game. I appreciate that, man. You know, I I try to do the best I can. And, you know, it, it just I've been blessed all in all. Like, the opportunities I've been given, I just I, – I'm at a loss for words with it all. You're, you're doing great, dude. And like I said at the beginning of the show, your demeanor, you seem like the guy that can't have a bad day. Whether that's true or not is, you know, that's up for debate and we're all humans. So, of course, that's probably not completely true. But that demeanor carries a lot of weight in this industry in today's day and age when we're trying to avoid people from leaving the industry and also helping at the same time getting people into the industry. And by the industry, I mean like getting people excited about hunting. And you're doing a great job of that. That positive demeanor, like positivity is contagious. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is, um, oh, gosh, my brain (laughs) – the scotch has gotten to me is, uh, you know, optimism is a force multiplier. And what that means, a force multiplier is, you know, if I had a bunch of hammers and I was going to pound them into the wall or, or a bunch of nails, I should say, and pound them into the wall, a hammer is the force multiplier. You know, a nail gun really is a force multiplier, but 
you know, that's giving you the leverage to do a lot more with less. And that positivity and that optimistic attitude and demeanor that you carry is a force multiplier that gets more people more excited about getting out there and chasing what they what they believe is their trophy. Whether that's a spike buck, a basket, or, you know, 150 class deer, whatever that looks like, it's different for everybody. It's just like when you go to the gym, we're all entering at different stages in the game. You might see the guy with the six pack and the, you know, the huge guns, but maybe your goal is to just trim 20 pounds. Maybe your goal is to lose 200 pounds. Or maybe that guy with the six pack was at 200 pounds two years ago. You never know where everyone's at in the game and respect people and where they're at within the process because they might just be starting out deer hunting or they might really be after that mature buck. You just never know. But your demeanor is great, dude. You, you're doing a good thing in the industry right now, and I'm, I, I respect that a lot, which is why I'm very happy to have you on the show. I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, I've been talking for like three minutes straight. <laughs> no, you're fine. Hell, I've been talking way longer, and I really appreciate that. And as far as like what you were saying, that's something I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, and I know I didn't really bring it up, but I'm going to get up on my soapbox now. We're all hunters together, so everybody listening, I'm sure we don't really have an issue here, but everybody's a hunter together. And it's like Hoss was talking about with the Pittsman-Robertson Act. Everybody bought that hunting license. Everybody bought their deer tag. So every single person has contributed to the conservation and the pursuit of these animals that we love. So there should be no reason that anybody, regardless, if you shoot a buck with a crossbow, uh, vertical bow a rifle a slug gun whatever that we should be bashing each other online i mean anything you need to be lifting each other up because like i know my first deer that i ever shot was a button buck and eight years old if i had some jackass going oh it's just a button buck you know he he ain't even gotten the milk off his lips yet or whatever <laughs> you know that's gonna really damage a uh, potential of a future hunter and then you've got these guys where they come out and they shoot whatever legal buck they have. You know, shoot your legal buck. If you paid your tag, you bought your tag, and that deer got you excited and your heart pumping, it doesn't matter if it's a button buck, a spike, a four corn, or even a 180. If you were excited and happy to shoot that deer, own it. Be happy with that deer. Don't go making excuses saying, Hey, you know, oh, I should have waited another year, but meat in the freezer. No, if that deer got your thing, if that deer got your adrenaline going, got your heart pumping, and you were happy with that deer, own it. Kill that deer. Like, that's that's my soapbox with it because I shoot little bucks when I could, and I've shot basket racks. I've shot, I have yet to kill a and young buck, and that's why I always laugh, like, yeah, I have all this knowledge, but I can't put it to use with the shit because I can't kill a deer that's, like, over a basket rack. And that's just my personal goal is to kill a Pope and Young this year. And I figure this is my last year since I'm transferring next year. But, you know, as far as everybody else starting out, you know, everybody – and it's just like you said, everybody's at their own battle. They're at their own starting point. So for somebody else to try to dictate where you start, that's just asinine. Nobody goes out and says, oh, you need to buy a Ford truck right away. No, they say, hey, get you a vehicle. It doesn't matter that's if right. it's a that's beater right. that's yep. 
So that's no, that's good stuff, I know man. I'm kind of beating a dead horse, but you know, as hunters, we need to come together and lift each other up and have that camaraderie because ultimately, if you see a bunch of, for lack of better words, I'm sure you're going to have to throw the explicit title on there, but you see a bunch of dick measuring going on. There ain't no reason that uh, that anybody's going to want to join this industry. And those of you assholes out there going, good, they don't need to be here. Well, maybe you're part of the problem. Look in the mirror. You should want to take more. My, dude, out, I got plenty of thoughts on that. Dude. We're, we're, we're in sync there and, and not like the freaking boy band. I mean, if, if you're going to bash folks, um, look, the day might be coming where you don't have any land to hunt because it's all taken away. So, like, you know, when I talked to D-Rock last week and we had an episode about the greater good of hunting, that's what I'm talking about. Public land is a privilege, and, and to stop people from getting into the, the you know, hunting um, by bashing them, it's not doing anybody any good. So, you know, dude, great, exactly. great topic. You know, thanks for, for, you know, kind of saying your piece on it. Let's wrap up with where people can find you and what you're up to and how they can get a hold of you because I think you've been a real beacon of, um, you know, positivity here today. And you certainly have a wealth of knowledge that I think people ought to be tapping into. So hopefully your inbox gets flooded with some folks asking some great questions. You know, so go ahead and uh, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, man. So Instagram is probably the easiest way to find me. It's uh, johnson.outdoors. Pretty simple, straightforward. Um, there's a YouTube channel link on that Instagram profile and the link for the blog if you're interested in that aspect as well. If you find me on Facebook, just kind of shoot me a message saying, hey, I know you from here, and I'll add you in. But, yeah, man, uh, that's about all I got. Good to go. Well, dude, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. I appreciate it. I value every guest. Thanks for sharing your memorable your memorable hunts, and thanks for everybody that tuned in and participated in the show. Yep, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. tip of the week you've made it if you've made it to the tip of the week i'm sorry it's never really worth it <laughs> um you know chris had some really awesome things to say about you know um what dictates and indicates rut activity for deer and i thought it was fascinating that down south in florida it's just all the time so we're in a unique position here in the Midwest and some of the northern states where the length of daylight in a day is what seems to dictate rut activity, as Chris had stated, coming out of that QDMA course that he was talking about. Shorter days equal more rut activity. Um, he had mentioned down by him in Florida, where he's from, that the DNR provides rut predictions. You know, I don't know that the DNR here in Wisconsin, where I'm at, does that. Um, there is an interesting app that has user-generated data about rut activity from QDMA. It's called the Deer Tracker. It's presented or powered by um, Powderhook. It's a free app that you can go to, and you know, it's. I don't think it's too heavily used. We'll see how it goes as the season progresses. It's one of the reasons I wanted to start the the WTH Rut Club Radio is to just get people to tell us of what's actually happening and where. So, tip of the week is. You know, get out and pattern some of the deer in, you know, the spots you might be hunting. For me as a bow hunter that hunts public land here in Wisconsin, I bow hunt a lot of land that's in um, 
close proximity to my where I live geographically speaking and so um, I'm out shining I'm out glassing I drive my wife crazy because I'm always saying let's stop and glass and let's stop and shine and you know we're on our way home with our our two-year-old in the car and it's like just give me you know 10 minutes let's just go take a look and try to coax her into by saying well you can look through your binoculars too or we might see some other fun animals like a coyote or something so that's the tip of the week is to just get out there and start seeing what's going on in your neck of the woods and get to get to patterning some of those whitetails you know joel had called in and talked about some of the bucks he was seeing and so just get yourself jacked up and excited see if you can't pattern some of the deer in your area based on where you're hunting that's the tip of the week i hope everybody enjoyed today's show uh, I hope everyone can continue to spread the word about the Rut Club Radio. I've got a lot going on this season with this show, and I appreciate your support. Reviews mean a ton to me. I'll always take those that keep me going. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning into the show. Have a great day and on public. <laughs> <laughs>